Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So if you want to become more resilient, if you want your body to be able to be better able to manage stress, you do need to increase the physical stressor that comes from exercise, i.e. not just moderate intensity, but vigorous intensity, high intensity training. Um, And that better regulates the HPA access. So that tells your body it's okay to be dealing with increased level of levels of cortisol and adrenaline. It's that's that's natural to do so. Um, You just don't stay there forever. So I'm really excited to be here this morning with Daryl Edwards. It's his second time on the show. He provided so much value last time. It was a a very popular episode that I got a lot of feedback on. Um, Daryl, if you don't know him yet, is a movement coach. He's author of the best-selling book, Animal Moves. He's a thought leader in the area of creativity and innovation in fitness and health. And Daryl developed the Primal Play method to inspire others to make physical activity fun while getting healthier and more robust in the process. Welcome to the show, Daryl. It's so lovely to have you back. Thanks. Thanks very much, Angela. Yeah, it just seems like yesterday that we had a chat. Um, So uh, it's a pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure to be back. It doesn't seem that long ago, and yet so much has passed. So much in the world has changed in that short period. Oh, yes. I mean, literally week to week, day to day now. yeah, life has certainly changed, uh, and and for many things will never never be the same. So so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to having this conversation because there's a lot of useful information uh, that we can that we can get out there. Um, yeah, useful sure. and evidence-based information. So yeah. So that's um that's exactly why I've invited Daryl on the show today because um we're filming this and recording this um in the middle of the COVID nineteen pandemic and Daryl has done a huge amount of research and is very knowledgeable in the area of how we can use exercise to boost immunity and enhance it, but also to boost our mood and our physical our overall physical and mental health. And so I thought that you guys listening would benefit so much from hearing. Daryl's advice today. So I think that's probably a good place to start is um, the benefits of exercise. Let's talk about those first in terms of boosting our immune system. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, we, we know that exercise, physical activity, movement is beneficial in terms of uh, non-infectious disease prevention uh, and uh, you know chronic lifestyle disease, heart disease, type two diabetes, uh, cancers, cancers, and, and the like, and that's pretty much well known, pretty robust evidence supporting that. What is less well known is how exercise can help with infectious disease, and uh, in terms of prevention, and how it can support immune function. So I I certainly no longer use the term boosting immune function. Uh, because for some people, of course, they don't want to, they don't, do, do not want to enhance uh, or, or, or to increase what their immune system is doing if they have an autoimmune condition, for example. So I prefer using terms like supporting or improving immune health or immunoregulation. So your immune system doing its job um, better, uh, correctly, is probably more. Uh, better phrasing I would say so immune function helps to support the body fight combat disease uh, combat irregular cells uh, which is one of the reasons why 
immune function or healthy immune function can help to prevent cancer um, in the early stages of cancer. And exercise supports that in a number of ways. So one, it basically enables the immune system to be better mobilized. So it increases white blood cell count for one. And within white blood cells uh, or lymphocytes, you have natural killer cells. And these natural killer cells, their job is to target cells that are infected and to kill them. That's basically what the, the job uh, of those cells are. And if you're sedentary, you have less natural cell uh, killer cell counts. Uh, they're less mobilized, i.e. there's less circulation around the, the body. And so physical activity increases mobilization, it increases the volume of these. And that's the most kind of potent reason as to why exercise is beneficial. Um, and we can talk in a little bit more detail as to some of the underlying mechanisms in relation to that and what type of activities can best, can best help. But the background in relation to this is, given that many of us are self-isolating with social distancing, we're staying, at, we're staying at home. And so in some respects, it's an ideal environment to be in, to be more active, arguably, you know, oh, I've got, I've got some time, I've got some space, I can get things done. Usually what happens after that honeymoon period of all the planning that you decide, yeah, I'm going to do my workouts every day. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. Actually, we get preoccupied with our worries and concerns and the, we get into survival mode. What are the things that I have to do? What are mandatory? What's necessary for me to survive, to be able to be, to look after the ones that I need to care for, to, to, to stay employed or what, whatever it may, whatever it may be. So those activities tend to push physical activity and movement to one, to one side. And for some people, their commute to work may have been in the, the, the most activity they would have got in their day uh, mm -hmm. for some, for some individuals. So if, if you're taking, taking that away, then your sofa, your couch can be that your kind of home for, for the day. You know, you pretty much are there doing your work. You have breaks maybe to eat or to go to the toilet and that's, and that's pretty much it. So it requires a lot of discipline to be able to craft lots of physical activity with, within your home that is going to be helpful. So, so I think there are two issues here. One is the importance of movement, not only for immune function, but also for mental health and physical health. Uh, and then it's also having some strategies that can help you move more when you're in an environment which is kind of encouraging you to, to kind of do less. You know, we're like, I want to watch more TV, more news. I want to spend more time being social on my phone. So, you know, that, that that's a strategy for, for me to be communicating with people and to keep, keep in touch with people. So we're actually gravitating even more towards screens whilst at home, you know, working from home, conference calls from home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So actually more people are likely to be sedentary or more sedentary now than in recent history. Uh, and we know people in, in general are pretty sedentary anyway. So, so we're compounding, we're compounding that sedentary lifestyle with the additional burden of having to deal with COVID-19. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a concern, but the good news is it isn't all doom and gloom. The good news is 
physical activity is something that we do have some control over. You know, it doesn't cost anything or it's minimal cost at best. You don't need any special equipment. You don't need to buy anything in. You just need yourself and some free space to be able to move. And within that, you've got a whole smorgasbord of activities that you can participate in. It doesn't have to be structured exercise. It doesn't have to be you trying to replicate what you do in the gym where you don't have access to that equipment or you're not in a gym class. Oh my gosh, I can't do my spin class. What am I going to do? Actually, your imagination is the is a, is the barrier is the limitation so so whatever you can imagine that you can do in terms of movement within the space that you're in that's what you're that you're capable of doing that is safe for you to do that's what you should be exploring yeah and you can certainly see that i mean if you look at for example the army they're able to exercise with just their body in terms of very very effectively and get very strong yes of course they use um the gym but I know you're, you're a real expert in showing people how to do this. One of the things I always say to my clients, like when they feel like they haven't got time, is even a Tabata workout, which takes four minutes, is surprisingly effective and difficult to do. Like if you take press-ups, for example, and mm-hmm. you do a Tabata workout where you do 20 seconds of press-ups, 10-second rest, eight times over, you're going to be oh. aching pretty a lot by oh, the end oh, of yeah. that. People underestimate how hard that is, or body weight squats, for example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's it. They're, they're very challenging. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't take much for 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 physical exertion to become, you know, for it to be difficult, for it to be challenging, and that's the point of of exercise as a point of training. You want to be challenging yourself. You don't want to feel comfortable. Uh, the adaptation comes from you overcoming that challenge, that physical challenge, that psychological challenge of doing that, that, that work. So I think it's really important that you're not just staying within your comfort zone. You're not just doing, you know, very steady state, relaxing, mindful, in quotation mark, practices when you're exercising. So don't, you know, there's a, a, a misconception that the best way to reduce stress, to manage stress, manage psychological stress with exercise is by doing those more mindful practices, you know, Tai Chi, yoga, uh, mobility drills, you know, slowing things down, you know, like relaxed breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. There's this misconception that that's the best way to manage stress. And it certainly is one way to do so. It's more parasympathetic. Um, It does enable you to focus on and what you're doing and to be in the moment and all those good, the good stuff that comes from mindful practices. However, I, in my opinion, and there's evidence to suggest that this is the case, <laughs> over and above my opinion, it isn't necessarily the best way to manage stress uh, because part of stress is our ability to be able to, to deal with, it, with that stressor, to actually combat it, to hit it, to hit it face on, not always to avoid so if you want to become more resilient, if you want your body to be able to be better able to manage stress, you do need to increase the physical stressor that comes from exercise, i.e. not just moderate intensity, but vigorous intensity, high intensity training. Um, and that better regulates the HPA access. So that tells your body it's okay to be dealing with increased level of levels of cortisol and adrenaline it's that's that's natural to do so um you just don't stay there forever you just have these peaks of that and then you have your your natural levels of cortisol and adrenaline will fall um, and you'll have better 
headroom between those peaks and those and those troughs. So have your mindful practices for sure, but also have practices that are going to get you sweating, out of breath, like, you know, really struggling to perform that activity because that's where you're going to be getting the benefits of better conditioning. You're going to be improving heart rate variability. You're going to be lowering your resting heart rate. So not just lowering your resting heart rate because you're doing something that's going to slow it down whilst you're doing the activity, but actually when you finish the activity, your resting heart rate will be lower at rest because your, your heart conditioning has improved. Um, so yes, if you want to create this variability in your heart rate, you need to be doing the work that will also increase variability. So you'll be working at peak and you'll be better able to recover. Your recovery time will improve. Your resting heart rate will improve. Your ability to utilize oxygen will improve. And so there are so many, so many benefits of physical activity. And that's why I do stress this movement. Movement is medicine. Uh, is a big part of my practice, a big part of Primal Play, is because we now are understanding how our physiology, you know, physiology benefits from phys- physical activity and how we can be prescriptive. So what types of exercise are most suited for, for certain functions? So mm-hmm. I would never mandate just doing aerobic or cardiovascular work. I wouldn't mandate just doing resistance training. I wouldn't just mandate saying, right, if you're going to do exercise, just go for a lengthy run or go on a bike for miles. That's the best way to exercise. Actually, a variety of of activities are far more beneficial for humans than just focusing on one or two movement patterns. We were designed to do a whole range of movement patterns, different intensities, different durations, um, different components of fitness. That all of those should be mixed together to provide a, a, a workout regimen that suits. And then the additional piece, in my, or the icing on the cake, in my opinion, is making it, making sure it's fun. So play for me, making it engaging, making it something that you want to continue to do, I think is always important. If, you're, if your practice is just serious, if you're only thinking about performance, if you're only thinking about the numbers, if you're only thinking about what the outcome should be, that isn't always the most helpful way of you know, pursuing your health goals. Uh, mm-hmm. I would also say that enjoyment, um, satisfaction, instant gratification from your practice is also important, not caring about the numbers. Uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I did about 45 minutes. It was 45 minutes of me. I put on my headphones. I listened to songs that I used to dance to in the early 90s that I loved pretty much on repeat. And I was like, it felt like five minutes actually. It was really, it was really, really difficult. I was really pushing myself, but I wasn't trying to push myself. I was, I was just enjoying the music, but it was incredible. At the end of it, I was like smiling. I was like, I haven't felt this good for such a long time. And I wasn't exercising. I was just moving and having fun and reminiscing, you know, the nostalgia of what it used to be like, even comparing how I used to be able to do that all night. <laughs> now, now I'm like, mm, it's a little bit more difficult 30 years on, you know, <laughs> like, um, but it was, but again, even that wasn't off-putting. 
it was even that was kind of I relished that like oh my goodness this is part of that challenge you know I'm I'm trying to let's see if I can dance for this whole song about stopping even if I stop who cares you're catching a breath that's normal to do you know there's nothing wrong with that you know this is not a fitness test this is just enjoyment but what was incredible was that 45 50 minutes um I know I'm I want to continue to do that so you know, I still felt a little bit sore, <laughs> you know, I, you know um, yesterday, you know, I didn't have to wait a day or two to feel the muscle soreness. I was like, mm, I really put myself through the mill, but it was really enjoyable. And it was something that I want to continue to do. And I didn't care, you know, I wasn't like doing it for people to be watching, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really important for you to enjoy your, your lifestyle practices, your healthful lifestyle practices. Because otherwise it will become a chore and you won't want to you won't want to continue to do them. So so I think it's important for you to have, you know, like a a recipe, a list of recipes, uh, you know, some choices of activities that you can do. And my book Animal Moves and my Animal Move range of, of products and, and decks, they explore that. Um the opportunities for movement that are not just your typical, as I say, go for a run, do some push-ups, do this, do that, done. Actually, there are so many things that you can do by mimicking the animal kingdom that will allow you to express yourself through movement, will allow you to, to challenge yourself, will allow you to move in different ways that are helpful for the body and, and the mind, will allow you to be engaged, will allow you to be mindful even when you're going full full tilt so for me the most mindful i can be is when i'm the most focused that i can be and that tends to be when i'm really pushing myself as much as i can for short durations i'm not thinking about anything else at that point um and and i and i would say if you're if you're doing activities where you're pushing yourself for very very long periods of time but you can think about other things you can think about your shopping list. You can think about your worries. You can think about the things that you need to get done. That is one good way to, de to decide that that movement, that practice isn't one, the most mindful. <laughs> and secondly, it's probably something that has been going on for too long. So, so if I'm sprinting, for example, the maximum I'm gonna be able to sprint for is 40 seconds. 30 seconds at the most and I certainly won't be able to think about anything else <laughs> apart from maybe stopping the sprint that's probably about it but I am so preoccupied for that period of time my body and my mind is completely focused in the moment um, and I have to have a significant amount of time recovering from that activity before I even think of doing it again so again this just gives you some ideas as to how you can navigate that spectrum of not working too hard for too long um, and having periods of very intense, high intense activity, powerful, um, very quick, very fast, maximal efforts, right down to the most gentle and, you know, almost static of movement patterns as well. So I think it's really important to maintain good health, to make sure that we're doing a lot of different movements, avoid kind of repetitive stress, avoid doing the same thing for very long durations of time unless it's very efficient a movement pattern like walking 
So what walking would I would say would be an exception. Uh, an it's exception interesting you say that actually, because yeah, I'm, I'm, I know from my conversations with Ben Greenfield, he makes it quite clear that actually our endurance should be being built um, all day long. So like at the moment, I've just literally before we started this done a HIIT workout. So now I'm going to take some time and I might sit for a bit, but then I've got an under desk and I'm not saying everyone has to get it an under desk treadmill. I might mm. then be standing and walking, but certainly with my overall steps, I try and build that and get somewhere between sort of 15 and 20,000 steps in a day, just through, you know, I won't, I'll run up the stairs to go and get what I need. I'll, and mm. maybe that's a little bit easier with young children because you are constantly moving around. But I think that endurance can be built Whereas there's a misconception, isn't there, that actually you need to go and do a long endure, a long bike session or a long run session. Whereas actually what you're saying is, no, we need to be working harder and smarter for shorter and then kind of resting. And, and those repetitive movement patterns are almost, as you say, like going for a walk or making it a part of your day. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, I mean, active recovery, whether you want to call it an active recovery um, or, um, <clears throat> you know, evolutionary biology is a significant part of what informs the primal play method. And so if you look at, if you look at human beings, if you look at, at what is efficient for us as humans, walking is very efficient. It's, it's low risk. Um, it's only about 10% more exertion than standing. Very, very small difference uh, in terms of calorie expenditure, in terms of body Utilize, you know, muscle utilization, aerobic uh, utilization. There isn't much difference between walking uh, at a slow pace and standing. And so we're designed to walk for miles and, and, you know, in a day. And when I say miles, I'm talking like 30 to 40 miles is not, was not uncommon for our ancestors to cover those sort of distances. With young children, with the elderly, within a, within a tribe, you know, the, the, this, gives us an idea of what we're capable of doing. People didn't run from one area to the next just to set up camp elsewhere. They, no, they would walk. That's what they would, that's what they would do. Of course, there are some tribes that would do, say, persistence hunting and the like, but it was something that was exceptional. It wasn't, that wasn't the norm. So I think walking should certainly be something that we spend most of our time doing if it's, if it's possible to do. Um, and of course, if you want to do other movement patterns like running um, or getting on a bike or swimming and the like, then yes, surely do those, but just be, just be careful about not overdoing it because something like comparing running to walking, um, running for humans, there are some advantages in terms of what makes it more efficient for us to run than other animals, but it certainly isn't as uh, efficient as walking. Um, it has a significantly higher impact on, you know, our muscles, our joints, sorry, not our muscles, our, our bones and our, our, our joints are significantly impacted. There's a significant increase in risk of performing those activities, which many runners will be aware of. <laughs> um, so yes, there are benefits, but there are also, there's also a cost. And I think with any physical activity, we have to weigh, to weigh those up. Um, and so I personally would, would rather spend my time doing higher intensity work, which will still benefit our aerobic system, will still benefit us cardiovascularly. And as we, we were talking, at, you know, as you mentioned earlier about Tabata, um, one of the reasons why Tabata was initially researched actually was looking to see if mainly anaerobic work 
um, focusing on that at much shorter duration. So it was four minutes versus 40. And that four minutes was only about a minute and a half of actual work because the rest of it was recovery. So it's about a minute and a half's worth of work compared to 40 minutes of steady state. And the researchers found that the aerobic capacity, both steady state and anaerobic improved. So there were improvements for both sets of individuals based on the exercise that they did over that period. But those doing the anaerobic work had anaerobic health and fitness benefits. So they improved muscle mass. They had other um, health markers improved over and above the steady state. So for me, that, that makes, <laughs> for me, I can save time. I can get the same benefits as somebody doing steady state. And I can also get additional benefits that can't be gained from doing steady state. For, so for me, it makes it makes a whole lot of sense. Mm, makes perfect sense. You know, I yeah, like it because it's very, as you say, time efficient. I guess yes. the question, because I've, I've often wondered this, like, I know, and I know some friends have been saying, well, um, maybe who are, are a bit less conditioned than they would like to be. And what one friend actually was saying how, oh, I'm going to use these this sort of quarantine period to go from couch to 5K, for example. So mm. now a lot of people will then, misunderstand that and they'll start to just start going and trying to run that steady state cardio um yes. in terms of that you know even though that's a shorter distance it still counts as an endurance event from the research that you've done can they use hit workouts and high intensity training to mm. actually build the stamina and the cardiovascular capability to then complete that race for example and how would they do that yeah that's a very good question uh, i mean it's two things two things there I mean, if you're deconditioned, significantly deconditioned, pretty much anything you do immediately will be high intensity. You know, like, mm -hmm. it, you know, and that's why a couch to 5K, you won't, you don't run a 5K on day one. You know, you have to build, you have to build up mm. uh, very, very slowly. Some of that work is going to be walking, and then a bit of running or a bit of jogging. You know, so so of course, if if your goal is to do a 5K that's your ultimate goal, then of course, those programs are the best way to safely graduate you up to, to get into that distance. But if you, if you want to mix things up and you want to reduce some of that time commitment, then surely doing some HIIT work whilst you're doing your Couch to 5K would be beneficial uh, and would actually be more protective because you're, you're gonna be getting stronger you know, your joints are going to be getting stronger, your bones are going to be getting stronger, your soft tissue is going to be getting stronger when you're doing those higher intensity workloads. That's, that's the reason why you become more robust. So it's another reason why endurance athletes will always have a strength component and a power component because they want to make themselves more resilient and robust when they are doing their distance work. Because if you just do distance work, all that's going to happen is you're just going to fall apart. That, that's going to happen. You are going to get injured. You are, you know, that's, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. So you have to think about doing things that will improve your, um, will help you get there. If you were asking me, should I do a 0 to 5K or something else? I would do something else, <laughs> actually. That, that would be my personal choice. Uh, um, I think you can save a lot of time by increasing intensity and doing, um, doing more work in a shorter duration and you will get all of the benefits that you're trying to get from your, from your 5K. If you wanna make money for charity and you have to do a 5K distance, that's something then of course. But if you're just doing it to, I want to improve my levels of fitness, I want to improve my health, 
I, I would I would certainly advocate there are other things you could be doing with that time that will give you far better results. If it's if it's you want to improve your body composition, certainly if it's about disease prevention or supporting or therapy of, of a particular condition, you could certainly do far better than just aiming to do a, a naught to a five five K. In terms of the intensity, which is another thing that people are concerned about, well surely if you're just doing a lot of hip work, isn't it isn't too isn't it too much? Are you more likely to be kind of crashing your your adrenals and and your immune system, and you're more likely to be have a greater propensity for 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 disease for infectious disease? Well, actually, that isn't the case. So, as we said earlier about the natural uh, killer cells, which are a part of the a part of the immune system function. So, high intensity exercise produces more natural killer cell counts than moderate intensity exercise. So I do a 5K run or I do a hit session. Post-activity, I get more natural cell killer cells produced from hit training than from moderate steady state. That highest natural killer cell counts means my immune system is more primed to find cells <clears throat> that are infected by viruses, um, for example. So, that, so that's something that is, is, is really important to note. Um, and it's one of the reasons why in some therapies, agentive therapies for cancer, they will use HIT training as their movement practice for patients doing chemotherapy and radiotherapy, for example. They will actually get people doing HIT training and resistance training as a way to, to get their immune systems to function even better, to improve their kind of immunological health. So I think it's, it's, it's really important to be aware of how intensity can help us become more immunological health, healthy. That's um, really interesting because so yeah. how much would be if someone because I mean I love I find hit workouts super fun and they're very mm. engaging they pass very quickly and as you say if you've got really good music on as well mm. um, they're a lot of fun and, and, and that, that would be my go-to but then how much is too much in terms of hit workouts can you do them daily do you need to take some time to recover and obviously I know we met you mentioned like you cannot neglect the mobility and things like mm. that and the stretching mm. and all of that. But how often would you say without compromising the immune system and for how yes. long can you go with HIIT workouts? Um, I would say there's no such thing as overtraining. Uh, there is such a thing as underresting. Yeah. So I would say that people, they do need to be aware of their own tolerances and thresholds. I probably do HIIT sessions two to three times a week. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do any more of, uh, than that, but I would, I would do probably more vigorous intensity activities than I would do steady state. So for me, steady state is walking. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm running, I might run half a mile, a kilometer at most. And it's usually with, with purpose, i.e. I'm running late. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I won't just recreationally run. So I tend to, I want to tie it into a purpose usually. So, um, so yeah, I think rather than saying how many, okay, I only want to do hit, hit training, how many hit sessions can I do? That's not also not a recipe for success. I would just say, make sure you are doing some hit training, make sure you have adequate recovery. So if you feel like you can't get out of bed because you're so sore, muscle soreness the next day, don't take anti-inflammatories. 
don't decide I'm going to do another hit session because I, you know I'm just going to beast my way through it. No, use that as your recovery time. And so your recovery time from that, maybe walking, maybe doing some yoga, maybe doing something that you're not pushing yourself at all. And then to you know a couple of days later, you may be able to go back and do another another hit session. <clears throat> um, hit training is also completely down to perceived exertion on the individual. So my hit session may not be your hit session. My hit session may not be somebody for someone who's deconditioned. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone can still do hit training. I think that's also important to know. Somebody uh, who's deconditioned, who stands up and sits down 10 times quickly, that could be a hit session for them. If you and I did that, you know, mm -hmm. wouldn't, be, wouldn't do much for us. You know, we could probably do another, another 90 of those without a problem. But somebody's deconditioned, them doing that 10, 10 times and then resting for 20 seconds, that could be a one cycle of hit for them. So again, it's about learning what you're capable of doing, recognizing what hit is, what vigorous intensity is, what moderate intensity is, and making sure your training program, your movement program covers all of those bases. So if you're doing one thing or two things or three things for your movement practice, it isn't enough. If you're doing mainly one intensity, one modality, it's not enough. You need to be doing having a broader spread. If you're only doing Olympic lifting, if you're only doing weight training, if you're only doing yoga, it isn't enough. And doing more yoga, doing more Olympic lifting, doing more weight training is not enough either. <laughs> it's about doing more of other things that would be uh, would be better improving your your health. We will reduce the risk of injury. We'll make sure you're covering all of those bases in terms of of health and improving your physiology. So, on yeah. that, if we talk about now, obviously people are at home, so they may have minimal yeah. equipment. If they're trying to build a weekly plan that they can mm -hmm. do, and I'll obviously in the show notes, I'll link to all of your packs and things that you have um, on your website as well, because you have lots of ideas for making it really super fun. Yes. But if we want to give them some things that they can take away immediately across seven days so yes. that they can um, enhance their um, their metabolic and physical and mental health. Yes. How would they structure that? You've mentioned that they might, you know, do two or three hit sessions. What would they do on the other days, for example? I for those do... that don't know, hit, I think pretty much everyone does, but hit is high intensity interval training. So it's interval, isn't it? It's going hard rest, going hard rest. Yes. On that's... a cycle. That's all right. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so in my book, I suppose I should probably have an opportunity to plug my book. So my book, Animal Moves, has a 28-day program for hmm. beginners, intermediate, and advanced. So in other words, if you're a beginner, you have potentially 12 weeks worth of, of workouts to, to do. And within that, I structure each week in a way that takes people through all the different intensities, different durations of work. Um, in, a, in a very well-rounded, holistic fashion. So I would say for most people, make sure you have one or two hit sessions a week and those hit sessions shouldn't take more than, you know, 12, 15 minutes total time, 20 minutes maybe of total time. And that total time, of course, isn't, you're not working out for 20 minutes. You might only be working out for say eight minutes and resting for 12 if it was a 20 minute session, you know. Um, 
If you're doing a four minute hit session, then you're working for about a hundred and you know one minute twenty seconds, and then the rest of the time is rest. So I think that's really important to know. When people say they're doing a forty minute hit session, they're lying. They're lying to you. It's not possible to do a forty minute hit session. Um, <laughs> you know, so remember the comparison of the Tabata research. It was forty minute steady state, about sixty five percent of um, maximal effort, um, versus four minutes of t um, 20 seconds work, 10 seconds rest. So it's two minutes 40, I should say two minutes 40 and the rest was rest time. That was the, that was the comparison. So go for hit, which is maximal effort, very short duration, making sure you have adequate recovery time during that session. Um, one or two sessions should be resistance training. Mm -hmm. uh, for resistance training, whether it's body weight or using additional weight, Make sure it's compound movements. So compound movements basically mean multi-joints, multi multiple muscles are being used. So squats, deadlifts, push-ups, those, those type of exercises are the ones you should be focusing on for, for resistance training. So on the resistance training, just to, just yeah. to clarify there, this is in addition to, because obviously as part of a HIIT workout, yes. you might well be doing some squats and press-ups, but you're saying... Uh, separate to those sessions you want to do yes. ones where you're not your heart rate isn't i mean it's going to elevate anyway obviously because you're doing compound movements but you're not deliberately setting out to get your heart rate very high here what you're focusing on is the strength work of actually physically doing the squats is that yes right? yes the strength work so you'll be yes. slowing things down so okay. with, if i'm squatting with hit i'm not doing slow squats no, i'm going well. as fast i'm going as fast as i can still want to maintain good quality of movement um, but I'm in good form, of course, but I'm trying to go as quickly as I can. I want to get out of breath. I want to go for maximal effort. I want to be, I want to feel as if I can't go on. That's what you want to be doing with your hit sessions with resistance training, true resistance training. Cause of course we have to remember that it's impossible just to do hundred percent resistance training. You're still using oxygen to supply fuel to the muscles. So there's still going to be some aerobic work. There's going to be some cardiovascular work, but it's, it's a, a much lower weighting of cardiovascular work. It's going to be mainly weighted towards, um, you know, moving your muscles and your joints in a way that are, is going to be building lean muscle mass. I suppose that's what you're, you're focusing on. Um, so yeah, so one to two sessions a week of resistance training, of strength training, um, some body weight and some, with addition to body weight is is ideal uh, uh, to do. And again, if you're deconditioned, it doesn't take much weight over and above your own body weight. And for some people, again, who are deconditioned, their own body weight is going to be more than enough, especially if they haven't had done much body weight work, right? So doing a few squats may feel like, oh my goodness, this is really hard work. That doesn't that means you probably don't need to have additional weight at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, one or two sessions of resistance training per per week, spaced out again maybe a day of mobility work and you know it sounds mobility work sounds fairly complicated but pretty much anything that's just going to be kind of loosening you up that's going to be really focusing on the joints going to be really focusing on range of, of motion so if you're feeling tight and you want to loosen things up and i would say that's far more beneficial than doing a, a stretch session because with mobility you're trying to take your your movement from the start to the end point um and, and working through to the end range of motion. So mobility drills, one or two of, of, of those, 
um, and a day of, of probably of rest to, to fully recover and not do much apart from walking. And all um, the mobility stuff is in your book as well, is it? So they've yeah, got so all the drills in there. Yeah, I have I have mobility work, I have balance work, I have agility, speed work, I have high intensity work, I have isometric work. So isometric work is basically where you're just supporting your body weight in a static way. So the, the classic example of that would be like a plank. I don't have any planks in my in my book, but that gives you an idea of what an isometric uh, isometric work is. So isometric work is where you're literally uh, are not changing the length of the muscle and you're maintaining tension as you're supporting yourself. And even just isometric work has other health benefits over and above other types of activities, okay. which is why which is why isometric work is is still important. So some people say, it's, "Why would I do that when I can when I could do movement? You know, I could actually be moving." Um, yeah. But yeah, just you just like static holes. So it's like standing against a wall in a static squat, for example. Yeah, standing in a static squat, you know, a pushing against something, um, holding a squat, holding the bottom of a squat. You know, not mm -hmm. relaxed. So so anything like that. There's lots of isometric holds. I have a lot of. I have I think about twenty or so in my in my book of different kind of poses. Uh, where you're holding different body positions and and the stabilizer muscles that's one of the benefits are you basically get the stabilizer muscles working um you know cool, you're getting better core stability you're getting really good um kind of control of the of the torso and and improvements in posture so there are all of these benefits uh the kind of slow twitch muscle fibers that are responsible posture they are actually really engaged. The stabilizers that support the bigger muscles that we like to work, the stabilizers are working. So if you don't do isometrics or you don't do anything resembling that, you may be missing out there. So um, so yeah, it's literally like working through, if you've got a speedometer and you know if you have a car and you only ever drive 20 to 30 miles an hour, you know, and, uh, and you're very fuel efficient, um, what you'll find is you don't get the best out of the car. You will have, have to have your car serviced more often. Um, you the lifetime of the car will be less because you're not flushing out the pollutants. So you need to spend some time redlining it. You need to spend some time really pushing it. <laughs> you know, you yeah. need some motorway driving. And that's how I, that's how I look at it. Sometimes you need to be idling. You need to warm up the car. You know, it's a cold morning. You can't just drive it immediately. You've got to spend some time idling. So that's how I kind of very crudely think about my movement practice. Sometimes I need to be idling. Sometimes the car needs to be off, <laughs> you know, sometimes engine off, sometimes engine on idling, sometimes a few revs just to, you know, just to make sure that everything's okay. Sometimes it's just around town, steady state. Sometimes I really push it, but again, you don't push it for too long, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to, you know, get into a, I don't know, you don't get caught speeding or whatever. You know, you can't do that for too long. So whatever analogy kind of works, whatever metaphor works for you to make sure that you're working through that full spectrum of movement and intensities, that's what you want to be Absolutely. focusing on. And make sure your movement, probably the last point is, make sure you have some movement which is kind of three-dimensional. So not just forward, back, up, down, um, but we have two other planes of motion. So sagittal plane is what most people tend to work, up, down, forward, back, kind of in this kind of straight line. Um, but you also have you also have lateral, which is kind of frontal plane, kind of left left to right, and you also have transverse plane, which is kind of rotation. So mm -hmm. rotation actually gives you the most power 
the most powerful of movements usually revolve in, involve the transverse plane. So when you see somebody throwing, uh, you know, like a javelin, for example, they don't throw like this, <laughs> right? You know, they have some rotation as they throw. A boxer doesn't just punch like this. If they want power, they kind of come around, they rotate, they use their hips. So having that type of work is also important. So if you're a runner, again, you might just be running very efficiently in a straight line because you don't want too much rotation because that's inefficient for, for running. But you're also losing out on a lot of power that your body can generate. So yeah, so my book, um, without getting, it's difficult just to talk about this. I think mm. you, people need to have some, may need to have some sort of instruction or to experience other movement patterns which would allow them to, to, to feel the difference. Ah, oh, now I understand wh why Daryl is doing this. Now I understand why he does crawling patterns because crawling basically covers, you know, like a bear crawl covers all three planes of movements in quite an exaggerated fashion. So it's sagittal, it's lateral, and it's also, there's some, also some rotation, there's transverse plane. So crawling patterns, quadrupedal patterns are very important for the brain and the body. You have to really, your brain has to really think hard to maintain coordination. And that's why dancing is quite important. Great for cognitive benefits, reduces cognitive decline. It's therapeutically used for uh, early onset Alzheimer's, for example. Um, dancing that challenges, changes directions, twists and turns. This is, these are the, the reasons why I advocate a lot of these modalities. Uh, so it's more than just fun. Yeah. It's also ensuring that you're getting maximal health benefit. So mm. if, if it only satisfies the fun element, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're going to be getting the health benefits necessarily. Me rolling in the grass may be a lot of fun. You know, me blowing up balloons may be fun, you know, or whatever. You know, they're fun activities, but we need to be ensuring that we're getting the health benefits. We are pushing encouraging BDNF, presumably, as well. So, Certain so types what, of training. Certain oh, types yes. Of training will encourage BDNF as well. Yes, so yes, yes, for sure. To function further. Yes, so, I mean, one, um, one, you're increasing, basically, circulation, oxygen to the brain. Yeah. You're increasing hippocampal volume. So basically you're getting, you know, your brain basically increases in size <laughs> uh, by with physical activity. And also when you have new improvised movements, so like when you're learning a new dance, for example, when you're learning dance steps, when you're learning a new movement pattern, that is significantly increases BDNF. So it's like, you know, brain grow, it's like fertilizer for the brain. Uh, and and it's, it's one of the only activities proven to be successful in increasing uh, BDNF to the brain is physical activity. And what is worth remembering is that once you have control of that movement pattern, you have much less BDNF. And it, this has taken me many, many years to recognize these the value add by doing these things. Mm. It isn't just, hey, let's just have some fun. There's something very serious about this. And it's something that is often overlooked by many of those who practice, who, who you know, physical activity or fitness instructors, they just focus on, yeah, just do some movements. Yeah, just do these exercises, get out of breath, job done. There's a whole other branch of stuff 
that is largely ignored um but has a significant research research base so that's that's where my interest is it's not just about looking good so that's that's basically learning new things isn't it and you can do that by doing a new yes you can also i find use like time is quite a good way so this morning i was doing uh, just simple jumps over a, a step from side mm. to side. So one foot on the step and then swapping to the other foot, but timing how long, how, how many I could do within one minute. Yes. Um, and what's interesting is every time I do it, as you say, I'm going to get better and better and I'm improving. So, you know, I was kind of getting close to 200 within one minute today. But mm. what was interesting was that my brain fatigued faster than my legs. Yes. So it was like all of a sudden, and that was the balance was it was like, actually after that many, it was like I'd almost lost the proprioception of where my feet were going to go. Yes, but then, as yes, you say, yes, right, yes. the benefits for my brain, in addition to the physical conditioning, yes. must be very good, right, in doing oh, that. Oh, yes, for sure. A little competition with yourself. Yes, but, I mean, that's a really great point. And I, I often, um, usually in group settings, but I do this myself sometimes, is just do mental, just do calculations, do some mental arithmetic whilst you're doing an activity. So if you're counting, if you're doing 10 repetitions, I may count in fours, you know, like four, eight, 12, 16, and so on. And then when that becomes really simple, and then you'll notice when you're trying to do that, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm losing. Why can't I add, add four onto the previous number? And then that becomes easier. So then you might do subtraction of fours, go from 40 to zero, minus four. And it's incredible how much more difficult those activities become, but you're creating this kind of dissonance between what the brain is trying to do which you could do very easily normally and in your brain trying to control motor function and it, and it, and it de- definitely demonstrates how difficult it is to control movement it isn't as yeah. it isn't as straightforward as we believe it is and so we have this emphasis on on cognition being you know like focus mental focus and concentration and that's really working the brain but you'll see that actually movement significantly works the brain and there are fmri scans that prove that fact you know people's brains light up uh based on based on movement but yeah so it's so i think it's it's important to to be aware of these benefits not just for immune function which of course is a is a primary focus for for many of us right now is supporting immune function but also it's reducing the risk of secondary complications so you know we know that most people who are who are dealing dealing with COVID nineteen, um, most of those who are who are facing the worst of COVID nineteen tend to have secondary complications, you know, other health conditions, high blood pressure, you know, um, high you know insulin resistance, and so on and so forth, cardiovascular disease. So physical activity is one of the best ways to prevent some of those secondary conditions. It helps with lung function. You know, so so it's it's all important. It doesn't mean there are any guarantees, you know, um, but it does reduce the risk of hopefully the worst of 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 what COVID nineteen um, has. And even if we don't suffer from COVID nineteen, there are so many benefits of physical activity anyway, improving your mood, reducing you know problems of anxiety. Many of us, some of us, can't go outside. Uh, so if you can't, you need a way of, of being able to kind of getting rid of some of this nervous tension, just being indoors and, and feeling stir crazy. Exercise is one, one great way of doing that. Um, and with my, as I mentioned, my 45 minutes of dance, like 
oh my goodness, you know, I could have been anywhere. It, it's not, it, you, the, the, I didn't feel I was surrounded by four walls at that time. You know, it, it was, it was a, an incredible feeling. And even though I know so much about movement, it's not enough. The intellectual satisfaction of saying, I know what, how great movement is, it's not enough. You have to do it. You can't mm. outsource movement. You can't buy, you can't buy a supplement to give you the benefits of movement. You can't eat your way out of a sedentary lifestyle. You know, um, we're always being well, told that. Well, even I think with know. SSRIs, you know, for antidepressants, they've done research, haven't they? And exercise outperforms taking those. So if people oh, yeah. are up and stuck in and they've got low mood, actually exercise is the fastest route to, to boost your um, endorphin and serotonin levels. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all, movement is linked. It's a precursor. Serotonin is activated. Its levels are increased through physical activity, especially if you can get outside in the sun. But if you can't, you know, physical activity still boosts serotonin. You know, endorphins are released post-activity. They're a natural painkiller. So it's important to exercise because you'll feel, you will feel that natural high post-activity. Dopamine, if you have dopamine hits from natural, uh, in natural events, I, you know, you create some rewards for yourself based on physical activity. Those are not, you know, detrimental like they are from the very quick, easy dopamine hits from your smartphone. You know, those notifications are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That doesn't happen with exercise because you have to do something, <laughs> you know, usually very challenging to get that reward, you know, and, and so it's very difficult. There are some people who are addicted to exercise, but it's very difficult and very unusual for that to be the case because you have to do something, you know, you always have to do something pretty exceptional. Um, so yeah, so all of those feel good hormones are activated. Um, you know, if you can, if you can maintain physical contact with those within your home, um, then of course, oxytocin is also, is also released. So physical touch is still really important. Of course, we have to avoid, you know, we've got to maintain social distancing and physical distancing for those outside of the home, but within family units where people are are not dealing with COVID-19, still maintain physical contacts, play games, do piggyback rides, whatever, whatever you can do to maintain some of that normality, I would say within a home environment is, is important. And probably the last point is make sure you integrate as much movement as possible. You still have to live your lives. You still have to maintain your family duties, your work duties. It doesn't mean you're going to spend all your day becoming exercise fanatics. But you may be able to make simple changes like having a standing So I have a standing desk, for example. So I use a standing desk. If I'm watching Netflix, I've, I've, I don't Netflix and still, which is what I call it now. So I try to move more whilst I'm watching the mm. TV. You, yeah. know, uh, um, I, I, you know, I try to do some of those things. I try to make excuses. Okay, right, I need to go. I'm going to make myself another cup of tea. So I'm kind of relishing the ability to be able to do simple things like that, maybe bear crawl to the kitchen, maybe do some bunny hops, maybe <laughs> squat while some, what, during the adver advertisement break or, you know? So, so there are ways to do a little bit more without you having to sacrifice loads of additional time. Like, where am I going to find the time for this? So it's just being more intelligent about changes to your day where you can integrate more movement, add some movement snacks, um, you know, use decks of cards, 
They're like, oh, actually, I might as well mention this. It's just been released. So I have an edition now for, for three to six-year-olds. Oh, sweet. I think when we cards. last spoke, um, you had, they, those hadn't yet come out. Yeah, That'd yeah. They're helpful to a lot of people when they're stuck at home with toddlers now. Yeah, ex- exactly. Just, just, you know, they're very educational, those ones as well. So, you know, getting kids to think about the habitats that the animals are in and, and how why animals move in particular ways. So it's, it's not just about exercise it's also some about some education through through movement um and we all need we just we all need things that just makes that this journey a little bit more palatable because you know there's nothing worse than people telling you you've got to exercise it's really good for you well yeah we kind of know that (laughs) already what we may not know is that how easy it is for us to get the benefits of physical activity you don't have to go from you know, sedentary to Olympian overnight. Most of us just need to do more than what we're doing at the moment. Break up sedentary time, rely less on the chair. You know, you're, you know, what's going to, it feels good sitting down, but it increases your risk of low back problems. Mm. You find it difficult. You find, you feel more lethargic. And so after a few weeks of, of sedentary living, people really feel they, we feel it. Right? We know we yeah. don't feel good. Um, so, if they, like, if they don't have, like, they don't necessarily want to go and buy a standing desk. Like, what I have is, um, it's an attachment called a yo-yo, which is mm-hmm. great because you stick it on top of your desk, and then you can basically move from seated to standing whenever you want, and it's very smooth transition. I, I can oh, link to it in the show notes. It's called the yo-yo, yeah. um, and it's amazing. So then you can keep going between sitting and standing all the time. Which is, which is great. And I mean, that's probably even better, to be honest, you know, <laughs> to, to be able to do, to go from sitting to standing. So, yeah, I think, you know, more movement is important. So if you're just standing, again, you're kind of defeating the object. Of course, it's better than just sitting all day, but you want to be moving. So I quite like standing because I can't stand still. I feel kind of uncomfortable, so I'm always shifting around. And yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so I do have a I do have a deck of cards for um, office-based workers. So so if you are at a desk uh, and you want to do things that are not just you know stretching the arms or whatever, then I have lots of ideas that you can do whilst you're working without without being too self-conscious about, <laughs> about doing it. You don't have to get changed into kind of, you know, fitness gear in order to do these these activities. They're more kind of movement snacks. So, you know, 10, 20 seconds of doing something and you can get back to get back to work. So anything that breaks that's up... That's the perfect time, time to learn them. That's the thing because people exactly. are at home perfect time to kind of... Yeah, you can do exactly. that anyway. You don't have to be embarrassed. So you can master them. <laughs> Quarantine period. And then the kids might, if your kids are at home as well, you can, they can probably join in. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Before we go, I just had one last question because you mentioned it very early on and that was around HRV. And so for people who aren't familiar with it, um, this is heart rate variability. So we're not just looking at a low resting heart rate here, but it indicates Mm. um, good engagement of the parasympathetic nervous system if the variation between your heartbeats is higher. And you mentioned that um, HIIT style workouts are good for that. Um, yes. 
So and I track it on my aura ring. You can track it with some apps just with a simple heart rate monitor, for example, in the morning. Um, is it mostly HIIT workouts that you can attribute to improving that or what's the best way to enhance HIV, would you say? Um, I, mean, physic- I mean, I would say, again, physical activity is, is one of the best ways. Um, and, you know, any activity is good activity, <laughs> you know, in general. So HIIT... The reason why HIT is favorable for me is because you actually get, you're increasing your heart rate, um, peak heart rate, maximal heart rate. You're physiologically stressed significantly for brief periods of time. And that better enables your body to differentiate between real stressors and, you know, and just life. So, so you know, that, so there's, there's this misconception again that if you have, um, if you're just kind of blissed out, really chilled all of the time, and you have these like really almost like a flat line HRV, that's not a good a good position to be in either, right? You know, you still want to have that variability. So having doing some hit work just increases the headroom. It just teaches your body that it's okay to be able to go from those peaks to those troughs. It's it's normal. It's natural. You're you're more resilient. So I think this. I know HRV is often used as a as a mechanism to say, oh, don't train too hard today, or make sure you're you know you're probably going to get sick, or you're probably like for, for performance reasons. But I would also say it's more important from a resilience point of view. So not only about when you should be taking your foot off the pedal, but also um, when you should be taking opportunities to be kind of pushing your, your yourself as well. So um, so it's not it's not something I. Um, you know, there were lots of metrics that are important and it's just one metric that I, that I, that I, I, I pay attention to. I would say resting heart rate is certainly another, another one. And looking at the trend of that, it should be hopefully getting, getting lower as you become more conditioned. Um, I would certainly look at things like lung function, you know, peak flow tests are really important. Oxygen saturation is another, is another good one that I, that I, that I look at very simple measures of, of fitness and, and kind of biomarkers of health. Blood pressure is another one, especially now when people are, you know, encountering more stress than, than as per usual. So very simple mechanisms, don't need much money to monitor them at all. And they give a significant window to your, to your health status. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're all they're all as you say they're all very affordable in terms of like a blood pressure monitor off Amazon is not expensive. The pulse yeah. oximeters, I think you can get them for like fifteen pounds or something. It will tell you what oh, your yeah. blood oxygen is. Exactly, super super, um, super, super cheap. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're not they're not expensive. Um, you know, there's heart rate variability apps on on smartphones now, on on smartwatches. So so it, it, it's becoming much more more affordable if you don't have the means to get you know, uh, to spend any money at all, just check your heart rate, resting heart rate in the morning, just take your pulse and you can just check the difference between heart rate from one day to the next. If you have a significant increase in your resting heart rate, five, five beats per minute, 10 beats per minute above your norm, your, your mean heart rate, then you know there's, there's something going on, right? Mm-hmm. That's an indication that 
you're you're you know you need to be you need to be doing something different you know maybe you're sick maybe you're getting you're getting sick maybe you've been overtraining so there's very simple even simpler ways for you to be you know detect you know kind of like being able to determine kind of what's going on stress is something that we don't always feel it's known as a silent killer for that very reason often when we feel stressed like, oh my gosh, I feel stressed. That's that's usually not when it's problematic, actually. When you're feeling stressed, it's usually because your body's telling you you need to be doing something. You need to change the, the either the environment or your approach to that to feel better. It's when there's just this low-grade stress in the background that you have no awareness of, that's kind of just eating away at you. That's when it's dangerous. That's when it leads to, to chronic disease. So your resting heart rate is likely to inform you of those type of of issues you know you haven't been sleeping well you'll know that in the morning when you take your resting heart rate you're recovering you drank too much the night before it'll go yeah. up quite significantly exactly exact, exactly so that's probably the easiest and cheapest way it doesn't cost anything for you to take your pulse every morning get an idea of what your mean resting heart rate is um one it will tell you if your efforts in terms of fitness are improving so if you're very sedentary and you start training, you will significantly reduce your resting heart rate. Once you become conditioned, it's not gonna, it's gonna plateau at some point. You'll, you'll hit the floor at some point, but you can use that information to say, oh my, normally I'm 45 beats per minute resting heart rate. Why am I now 55? You know, that, that's, there's something not quite right. Um, just to, just as, a, as an anecdote, my resting heart rate used to be late 50s when I, I used to be very deconditioned. Um, now I'm like, I can be like 34, 35 uh, BPM um, some mornings. I kind of hover between 34 and 38. Of course, that can be a worry. So I had to, I did have quite a lot of tests done. My doctors were quite concerned when they, when they did an, an ECG and were like, oh my goodness, don't, don't do anything, sir, because you might, you might keel over. But fortunately, I got I got an all clear, and it was just based on a healthy heart, a well conditioned heart. So that shows what the. What do you say to people difference. how long they can expect, like the period of time if they were exercising regularly, how sort of quickly they can lower their resting heart rate and improve their HRV? Oh, I mean, a, a, a matter of weeks. If they, if they have a sustained practice with, with adequate recovery, um, certainly within a matter of weeks, especially if, they're decon especially if, they, if they've been deconditioned for a long time, certainly within a, a, a matter of weeks. If, they've, if they had a, pre a prior, if they're you know, conditioned at some point in their life and they become sedentary, um, it may take a little bit longer, but they'll be going back to pretty much what they, what they were previously. Mm. I think what's key is you just don't burn yourself out immediately. Mm. You know, that you don't start off and try to, to, you know, climb Everest. Just be very methodical about how you, you start this because you want to continue doing it. So as long as you can continue doing this, you're going to be seeing the benefits. The benefits of exercise you get immediately. I mean, like, that's the other thing I should, I should also state. Like, if you are sedentary and you start being active, the first minute of physical activity, you will realize some gains your oxygen saturation will improve immediately. You'll have improvements in your, in your, um, your lung function Im immediately. You'll have improvements in your, in your blood glucose response immediately. You'll have improvements in um, blood pressure regulation improve immediately. Like, you know, there's all of these benefits that you don't have to wait weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years to, to, to attain. So 
I think like 60 seconds of squat body weight squats, for example, before a meal improves, has been shown to improve insulin sensitivity for that meal you're about to eat. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the old wife's tale of, you know, go for a walk before or after a meal. I mean, either way, whichever way you do it, if you go for a walk after your meal, you get a 50% reduction. Lots of studies on that. 50% reduction in, in uh, blood sugar, um, you know. Uh, you get improvements in insulin sensitivity a significant am amount so it's it just makes a lot of sense to uh, to do so your body becomes better able to deal with some of the you know some of the issues that you may have elsewhere that you can't have much control over <laughs> your body is meant to move your body is meant to utilize blood glucose for movement for muscle tissue that's the that's the main reservoir of blood glucose is muscle um, seventy percent of the body, you know, lean body mass, blood glucose is that's that's what it's meant for. That's what insulin yeah. is trying to do to force those those force blood sugar into muscle cells. That's a prime action of of blood glucose. That's what it's for. Um, some for the liver, for glycogen, obviously some for the brain, but the majority of it is for muscle. So if you're sedentary, it's floating around going, what am I doing? you know give me more insulin to try and sort this out you know yeah. so yeah. so yeah i mean we could talk about this forever <laughs> yeah, no. but but i think it's it, what's important is that um i do have lots of evidence on my website i do have lots of research on my website about some of these other mechanisms and i would say in general movement is certainly underappreciated in many uh, in many areas of of, of health as not as in terms of it being useful for prevention, but as to why. So, so there are things that people are using as a substitute for not moving. You know, like, oh, I can do this to improve my blood sugar. But even though movement would do a better job of doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I can do, I can take this supplement to manage yeah. my, blood, my blood pressure. Actually, there are simpler ways of doing it, but it, it's, it's a sacrifice for some people, for many. You know, movement is not, is not an easy choice. In a, in a sedentary world. No, but I world. think this virus yeah. has shown us when we look at the evidence that is beginning and it's obviously it's emerging is that people who are not managing their blood sugar and people who are not managing their blood pressure seem to be at greater risk of secondary conditions. Oh, uh, yes. And that's a big sure. wake-up call, isn't it? That if there yeah. ever was a time for us to really, really get out there and start exercising, even within yes. your own home, now yes. is the time. Now's the time for, for sure, without yeah. a doubt. And that's a great, you know, that's a great way to to sum up <laughs> everything that we've discussed. Really, is like now is a great time to be to be doing this, to be doing this with you know with yourself, with your family members, um, and to recognise there's there's benefits after this crisis has ended. It's worthwhile continuing continuing yeah. this because there are benefits across the board, mentally and physically. Yeah, and it's a lifestyle. So I will thank you so much for coming on. I will link to your book, Animal Moves, and also to the card decks because I think they're, they're an amazing way of getting fit with the family, which we are all together now at the moment at home. It's a great opportunity, and they're so easy to just pull one off and, and practice and have fun with your children. And also your book very effectively, as you say, takes people through the beginner, the intermediate, and the advanced stage. There's something in there for everyone. So um, yeah. I'll link to those. Your website is... 
primalplay.com primalplay.com um, and I actually recently posted uh, a blog post on exercise and the immune support so if people want to dive in a little bit more into the research as to why it's beneficial uh, and, and, and learn you know discover some of the buzzwords around <laughs> around, around the immune system and immune function, then uh, please feel free to do so. So I'll send you that link as well, Angela. To, Brilliant. To Perfect. To. Yeah, and I'll link to that as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. And, and you're pretty active on Instagram as well. Is that the best platform for them to engage with you on or yeah instagram where? uh is, is certainly the best um i will be i will be doing some at home workouts doing some st live streaming in the in the near right. future by the time by the time your viewers see this that that may be available but um but yeah so i'll be doing some definitely working on some additional resources of of fun stuff that you can do at home um fun but effective um, and just to give people more ideas as to what they can do. So watch this space. So Instagram, I'm known as the Fitness Explorer. Um, so you can you can seek me out there. And if you just search for Daryl Edwards, D-A-R-R-Y-L Edwards on Google, then you'll you'll find oh. out <laughs> you'll find out stuff that hopefully yeah, hopefully it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. I'll link to all of that in the show notes and thanks for coming on the show and um, yeah, stay healthy. Stay healthy, Jump stay safe. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.